everybody, Mark here. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is from our San Mateo campus with our discipleship director, Chris Conacondi. Check it out. Thank you so much, Matt. We've missed you, and then we'll miss you again, and then we won't. Well, good morning, Menlo San Mateo family. It's so good to be here with you. It's a great day to worship together. Thank you so much for being here. As Matt said, my name is Chris, just in case we haven't met before. You know, we just wrapped up a series called Seasons, Permission to Feel, where we've been praying through the Psalms together according to whatever season we're in. And the last couple of weeks were challenging. We talked about fall and then winter and some heavier things. But even in the midst of that, we were reminded by God that he wants us to bring all of that to him our messiness, our human emotions, and our frailties. God can handle it. And today we're going to explore something that might feel like a bit of a hard turn to some of us. We're going to talk about God's call to holiness. And some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, you just said we have permission to be fully human, and now you're telling us to be holy. And the answer is yes, because Holiness doesn't mean being devoid of your humanity. Holiness means being separated to God and away from the evil things of the world. And pursuing a holy life is worth your whole life. But we need help. So will you join me in prayer as we ask God for help? Let's pray. Father God, it is our deepest desire to follow you, and to become more like you. We want to be on this path to holiness, and sometimes we don't exactly know what that looks like. And so we know we need your help, and we trust that you are a good and gracious God who loves us and wants to see us along this path. So Lord, would you help us? Would you help us with wisdom today and in the days to come, and your power and strength to stay Stay on the bright path. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a while ago, I decided to try a do-it-yourself project. I decided to try to fix a leaky faucet because Bob Vila and our friends at the Home Depot assured me that this is one of the easiest do-it-yourself projects to tackle. It's not. (laughs) At least not for me. You know, so I had my towel and I had my tools and I was able to get the, the faucet handles off, but then I got stuck. So I sent my friend a picture and he was able to help me get the cold cartridge out. It's the thing in, inside underneath the faucet handle, but I, I just could not get the hot cartridge out. I was totally stuck. So I rolled up my sleeves and I cranked the wrench as hard as I could and I heard a pop. Yeah. And I thought I broke the casing around the cartridge, which you might be able to see in that picture, the middle one. But I wasn't sure. I'd never done this before. I'd never seen cartridges. I didn't know what it looked like. And my friend couldn't tell either. So he suggested that I take, take these things to the hardware store and see if they could help me. Maybe it just needed new O-rings, or maybe they could help me replace the cartridges altogether. But they couldn't help me. So I went back home, and because my friend and I miscommunicated, 
He thought I was talking about the shower head. I was talking about the faucet. He told me to turn off the water altogether. So now I'm stuck without water all night. Not fun. So finally, he ended up referring me to a plumber named Greg. And Greg was really nice. And Greg told me to buy a new faucet. Yeah, that's the new faucet on the, on the right. Um, but so Greg shows up at my house the next day. I open the door, and there standing before me is this giant of a man. At least it felt that way. And he stepped into my house, and it's like his head almost hit the ceiling. I thought, oh, my gosh, how is this man going to fit in my tiny bathroom, let alone underneath my, my sink? But he did, and it turns out that Greg is an agile and very gentle man, and he quickly and neatly replaced my faucet. And then we had light conversation about our kids and music. Greg's kindness kind of assuaged my bruised ego at my failed do-it-yourself attempt. And when he took out the faucet, he told me he thought the faucet was 40 years old, which meant that there was no way on earth I was going to be able to find replacement cartridges at the hardware store. I tell you this story because sometimes I think our faith is like that. And if you've been at Menlo a while, I hope you've heard us say that our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. And we have another word for that. We call it discipleship. And that our hope is to be devoted followers of Jesus who help other people become devoted followers of Jesus. This is our spiritual formation. And we learn about practices like reading the Bible and praying and fasting and confession. And these are all great and wonderful things, but maybe sometimes over time, we feel like the spiritual faucet in our lives is stuck, that what used to flow freely just doesn't anymore. And we try to fix it by white knuckling it, but it doesn't work and we just get stuck. As we examine God's call to personal holiness, we'll explore some common reasons why we get stuck in that pursuit. And we're going to start with a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, I love the Apostle Peter because he's impetuous and messy, and I totally resonate with that. And if you've followed along with any of Peter's journey, you will know that at one point Peter denied Jesus, and then he was restored, and then he became the leader of the early church. So I think it's exactly because of Peter's journey and his life that he's qualified to talk about this call to holiness. So 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 reads, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 13 begins with a conjunction, therefore, which usually indicates that the preceding verses frame the verses that we just read. And in those first 12 verses, there's not a single command. There's just this focus on the amazing mercy and grace of God that gives us a living hope through Jesus. And so it is because of this incredible grace that we are empowered for right living. 
God is calling us to be separated to him. This is our sanctification as believers, that to be separated from the sinful and wayward things of the world to God. There are two phrases in these verses that are challenging for me as a person of Asian heritage. And one of them is like obedient children. And and the reason that's hard for me is because my family has had these kind of unspoken practices of filial piety passed down through the years that still affect me, a third, fourth generation Japanese American. And one simple definition of filial piety is uh, virtue and primary duty of respect, obedience, and care for one's parents and elders. And theoretically, that sounds like a great virtue. But when you have a really angry father and a critical and controlling mother, it becomes really hard to be respectful and obedient. And it's compelled by fear, not love. It's a duty. The other phrase is, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that sounds weird to say because this is central to our whole message today. But the reason I struggle with that is because of cultural context around shame and honor. I still remember as a child, my grandmother, I called her Bachan, pointing her finger at me and shaking her head and saying, shame, 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 as if I'm a bad person just for existing. And I still carried some of that and struggled with my self-worth even after I became a Christian. When I was still shrouded in that shame, it's like I, I could kind of see, like, honor God and all his holiness, but I felt like I could never be holy because I could just never be good enough. I was a bad person. Do you see where this is going? My shame put a barrier between me and God, and I was stuck. So part of the problem is that I wasn't identifying as a new creation in Christ. I knew in my head, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the reality is that I felt like I had lived 37 years of condemnation from myself and from others. And it became part of me, like part of my identity, who I was. And these misbeliefs aren't torn down in a day, but I can say after a lot of personal work and deep investment into my relationship with God, and really just trying to truly understand who he is, I feel like I've reconciled a lot of that dissonance between my Asian heritage and my Christian identity. And I am a Japanese American child of God. And I feel like the beauty and power of my Christian identity covers over all the kind of counteractive aspects of my Japanese American identity and without erasing it. And this empowers me with confidence to pursue holy living just as I am. When I give in to my propensity towards shame and I feel like I'm not good enough to pursue holiness, my shame becomes, at best, a spiritual distraction. And when it comes to our spiritual formation, distractions are destructive because they can keep us stuck, like we stagnate, and that we don't move into the fullness that God has in our lives. So let's look at four common behaviors and attitudes that can distract us and keep us stuck in our path to holiness. One is resistance to change. 
You've probably all heard this saying, it goes something like this, people don't change until the pain of staying where they are becomes greater than the pain of the change. And sometimes I think this is at the heart of resistance, wanting to avoid pain. And sometimes it could be rooted in other things like pride or even willfulness. Maybe some of us have the mentality that like, I have my golden ticket, so I don't need to change or do anything else to be in God's will. And when we are characterized by an unwillingness to change, the Bible calls us a fool. And one description of a fool is in Proverbs 18, which says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing personal opinion. It's all about me. Two, feelings of burnout. In spite of our best intentions, sometimes we find ourselves in seasons of burnout. We've said yes to too many good things without saying no to other things. And we convince ourselves, it's okay because I'm busy doing things for God. And this can be true for me and Menlo staff as well. Um, Being busy might make us feel important. It might make us feel needed and it might distract us from loneliness. We end up being full of anxiety, sleep-deprived, hurried, impatient, and we're just not taking care of ourselves. Sometimes we add to our burnout by tuning into the wrong things, like uh, what John Mark Comer stated in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. Three, isolation. Now, it may seem weird to think of isolation as a distraction, but I definitely think that COVID distracted us from all things social. I mean, we had to stay home, and then it kind of became more easy and convenient to just do everything from home including worship in our pajamas. Anyone remember that? Um, And uh, not have to go outside and say hi to people at all. I did some of that too. Can you tell I'm an introvert? And then it may have been easier to skip a service or two. Tell yourself, ah, watch it on YouTube later. Uh, And that may have formed new habits that kept you isolated from your church community, your neighbors, and maybe even friends and family. If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard Phil mention, that's our senior pastor who's pouring coffee before, um, that our faith is personal, not private. So it may seem easier to not have people in your face keeping you accountable on your walk and maybe even noticing when you're not around. Um, But it's impossible to grow in isolation. The author of Hebrews rightly called the people of God to persevere in community when he noted, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the most fundamental human needs is to belong, and we can't belong in isolation. Four, compartmentalization. We may compartmentalize our spiritual life, and it distracts us from the most important part of our relationship with God. 
for example, we may think that it's really about gaining knowledge, like gaining knowledge of the Bible, and which is really great. Of course, we have to know the Bible to grow. But if we stop right there, then it's just knowledge. Have you ever been challenged about what you know? See, I, I come from a pretty conservative belief system. And I thought for a long time, like, I knew a lot about Christian doctrine and Christian life and how we are to live because it's how I was taught by humans until one day a pastor challenged me about that. And that eventually led me to seminary where I continue to learn how much I don't know that I don't know. Or maybe you think of spiritual formation as doing more, doing more things, doing more spiritual practices, things on your to-do list. And again, that's all great and necessary, but not always what leads to spiritual transformation. Compartmentalization is complicated, but what is the right answer is just to be more, not to know more or to do more, but to be more like God as we are attuned to his heart and shaped by his love. See, looking back now, that time, that period when I was resting on my own knowledge and actually ministering to others through that knowledge, that may have been the most harmful and exclusive time in my ministry. And that's not how Jesus led his life, and it's not how he calls us to live ours. I don't know if there's a copyright on this, but God calls us to holiness in everything, everywhere, all at once, in every part of our integrated lives, because pursuing a holy life is worth your whole life. In our pursuit of holiness, distractions are destructive. They can invoke shame, resist change, burn us out, isolate, and compartmentalize. And we can easily give in to these kinds of distractions and get stuck if we focus on the wrong thing. And friends, we are all being formed by something or someone, and we all need help. So let's go back to 1 Peter to get a glimpse of how we are to live out this calling. Verses 17 through 21 say, If you invoke his father, the one who judges impartially according to each person's worth, live in fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal conduct inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your trust and hope are in God. And here, Peter is reminding us of a couple things. One is that as God calls us, we call on God. And because we know that the Father is just and good, we live in reverent fear and dependence on him. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom guides us in obedience to God, which sets us on that path to holiness. And Peter reminds us that God has already assured us of our divine destiny of eternity with him through the sacrifice of Jesus. 
He has redeemed us to be holy. When it comes to the pursuit of holiness then, powering up takes powering down. It's not about trying harder like me tightening that wrench. It's about us grasping Christ's work on the cross and calling on God and his power to help us continue to turn from our old ways and become more like him. It's a reminder that God doesn't just save us and leave us to our own devices. God saves us because he loves us and he wants to be in loving relationship with us. But sometimes we can't do that because we're stuck. Because God's holiness sets him apart from all the evil things of the world. And so the more we're stuck, the further we get from God. Apart from God, we can do nothing, but with God, anything is possible. And holiness apart from God is impossible, but holiness with God is possible. And pursuing a holy life is worth your whole life. Our final verses say, Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual affection, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. Peter seems to be saying that a living, lasting faith is always loving. And once again, Peter reminds us that we have been redeemed through Jesus, the everlasting word of God. And when we are in right relationship with him, we are compelled to love. Love matters most. So we began talking about God's call to holiness with an acknowledgement that sometimes we get stuck. And sometimes we're stuck because we have biases in our understanding of what it means to be holy. Or we often get stuck because we're weighed down by distractions, and distractions are destructive to our spiritual formation. In our humanity, holiness without God is impossible. So we need to power up by powering down. Instead of just trying harder, we trust God and his power to help us on the right path. And we embrace the truth that because we are redeemed, we are compelled to a living, lasting faith that is always loving. Yet some of us might be wondering how to practically apply some of this, especially if we're stuck. And here are four ideas to help us get unstuck and move forward in our pursuit of holiness. One, self-reflect. Honestly, examine where you are in your spiritual formation and what is keeping you stuck. What might you need to let go of, stop doing, start doing, or maybe even start believing? And then if you figure something out, tell someone. And if you can't actually think of somebody, then go to the next idea, which is to invite others. Doing the Christian life alone isn't difficult. It's impossible. Reach out to someone, you know, uh, to a friend or two to um, invite to do a spiritual practice together. I needed structure and accountability for my Bible reading, so I asked two friends if they would want to study the Bible together. 
And we've been meeting regularly for over two years, and it has been so life-giving. Try just making an invitation. If you have somebody that you look up to kind of spiritually, invite them out for coffee and see what happens. Uh, And then this is um, my favorite idea, is consider joining a life group, a safe space where you can be deeply known and loved as you move toward Jesus together. Three, try something new. You've all heard of the insanity cycle, trying something over and over again and expecting different results. So get out of the insanity cycle and try something new. Maybe focus on one thing that's keeping you stuck. So for example, if it's prayer, maybe try adding some structure to it by using a prayer guide or something like the daily office uh, um, or Try maybe praying in a different posture or a different time of day. Just try something new. Four, lean into the love of God. And I'm going to wrap up with this last idea because I was so moved by a story of a young woman who leaned into the love of God in what felt like a small way, but that left a legacy of holiness. Her name is St. Therese of Lisieux of France, and she lived in the late 1800s. She was 15 when she entered the convent, and she unfortunately died at the very young age of 24. And when she was on her deathbed, she overheard the nuns outside talking about her, wondering why she was a doctor of the church, because they thought she had lived such an unremarkable life. They didn't even know what they were going to write about her in her obituary. Um, For context, uh, doctor of the church is a title given by the Catholic Church for saints, to saints who have made like big contributions to theology. Um, And in history, they've only appointed 37 of those titles. So it's a pretty big deal. And life was tough when uh, Therese was growing up because of the French Revolution. And that devastated a lot of stuff, broke down the uh, structure of the church, and it gave rise to atheism. That's on one side. And then the other thing that was going on was there was a heresy that was raging throughout Europe, and it's called Jansenism. And the, just the basic belief of Jansenism is harder is holier. So if it sounds like the worst thing in the world to, for you to do, you should do it because it'll make you holy. And that's just, <laughs> that's not really how God teaches us. That's totally absent of joy and the abundant life that God wants for us. But those were kind of the two choices that she had. And she looked at herself and she's like, I am so small and weak. She compared herself to these amazing nuns that were living these holy lives and thought, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm feel discouraged. So at the tender age of 11, she made a resolution to never give in to the temptation to be discouraged. She leaned into the love of God, and it saved her. She was affectionately called the little flower of God. But unlike the flowers of the grass that we just read in that last passage, this one, when her physical body passed, her life went on in a legacy of holiness because she leaned into and trusted God. And because of that, she was canonized and described by Pope Paul VI as rediscovering the heart of the gospel. This was her secret sauce to holiness. 
Jesus said that we must be like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. But sometimes I think as we grow into adulthood, we lose some of that childlike wonder and awe of God. And what if this is what matters most to Jesus? What if this is what he's calling to, that we lean into his love like little children and rediscover the heart of the gospel? Pursuing a holy life is worth your whole life. Every moment, every situation, every minute, every interaction, our whole lives for the rest of our lives. Menlo Church family, are you ready to lean into the love of God and live an unremarkably remarkable holy life? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to lean into your love today. We want to live a holy life. We want to be restored to that childlike faith that just trusts in you. And because of your amazing grace and love, can therefore live a life that really pursues holiness in your image. I pray for anyone here who might be feeling stuck in, along this path you would help us get unstuck, help us with wisdom, determine what, what is keeping us stuck. And do I just need to lean into you and your love a little more? And as we continue in this path, in this pursuit of holiness, Jesus, our main prayer is that you would be magnified. Amen.